When Thanksgiving starts coming around, of course, I usually do a series of talks on gratitude. This year, no exception. But in the past, I have chosen books um, really spot on, I thought, for their spiritual message. And this year, I've actually made a different choice. Now, you're going to get some spiritual information, of course, because it's me. But uh, I thought it would be interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, no matter, yeah. <laughs> but I thought it would be kind of fun to do gratitude from a scientific perspective this year. So we're kind of in for a treat. I found this book called Thanks, and the subtitle on it is How Practicing Gratitude Can Make You Happier by Robert Emmons, Ph.D. And it's really somewhat of a scientific book. So I think we're going to have some fun. I'll be, I'll be handling the uh, spiritual content part of it. And then Richard Emmons will uh, talk about some of his uh, um, actual uh, studies that they did, psych psychological studies on people with uh, gratitude in relation to happiness. So I think we're going to have some fun. But of course, I do want to start, uh, start out with gratitude from a slightly different perspective uh, via a joke. So one Christmas, mom decreed that she was no longer going to remind her children of their thank you duties. As a very sad result, their grandmother never received acknowledgments of the generous checks she had given for Christmas. Well, Grandma had a good deal of wisdom and creativity, however, so next year things are going to be different. Why, the children came over in person to thank me, Grandmother told a friend triumphantly. Well, how wonderful, the friend exclaimed. What do you think caused the change in this behavior? Oh, that's easy, said Grandma. I didn't sign the checks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So gratitude can be prompted in a variety of ways. <clears throat> but you know, since the subtitle on this book is How Practicing Can Gratitude Can Make You Happier, I think a good place to start here is actually not talking about gratitude, but talking about happiness. So who here knows where happiness comes from? Okay. All right, some of you are brave enough to hold, to hold a, a hand up, but I bet you might not know scientifically where it comes from. So I, I, I might be boring you with, uh, with details here, but believe it or not, about 15% of, of happiness they have decided is genetics. That if your parents and grandparents tended to be happy people, that you are about 15% more likely to be a happy person rather than a more somber or traditionally mixed kind of person that has some happiness but also a fair amount of unhappiness. So, so about 15%, and they've done this you know, through analyzing studies of how well satisfied people are with their own lives, how happy they are in their jobs, how happy they are in their lives, how happy they are with their families, and then they compare those results to other control groups. And then, of course, for that particular study, they compared it to the parents and grandparents of the people involved. All right. Well, that's only 15%. I'm glad to say that I'm not stuck either happy or unhappy with what my parents felt, although I am blessed in that they were pretty happy people. Where do you think the other 85% comes from? Situational. Yeah, it's situational. So, so if the 15% is the genetics, then the 85% are things that happen to us. But here's the trick. Here's the trick. It really isn't the 85 that comes from events and situations and things in our life right now. It's from when we were a baby. 
Believe it or not, all the, all the studies point out to the fact that we actually have kind of a set point theory around happiness. And the way that we were treated very early in life, generally, probably before even the age of two or three, will set us up, if you will, for how much happiness we're likely to enjoy later on in life. And so the theory is, you know, if you were um, one of those babies that people played with and had fun with, and you know, the, the goo-goo eyes and the hide-and-seek and all the, ooh, coochie-coochie, you know? I mean, that sort of stuff that if you're, if you're a guy in the audience, a lot of you are going, oh. <laughs> but the truth is that happy babies make happy adults, by and large. That's where about 85% of it comes from. And in fact, the studies have shown this so strongly that they actually say it's as though you are, are stuck in this, um, this idea of set points. So let me explain what set points are. And believe it or not, they work kind of the way your furnace does at home with a thermometer on it. So when you set your thermometer on your furnace for, let's say, 68 degrees, what it really does is it does a plus or minus in there. And when it drops down below about 65, the furnace will come on and raise it back up. But obviously, you don't want it to just endlessly get hot. So when it gets up a couple degrees beyond where you've set it, then the furnace goes off again until the temperature comes back down. It isn't anything that we have to control. It's simply set up once you've programmed the thermostat. It doesn't matter whether you open doors or not. It doesn't matter whether you're having a hot day, especially if you have air conditioning too, right? It'll pretty much bring it back to that set point range. Not too hot, not too cold. Our happiness works the same way. I'm sad to say. It isn't, it isn't dependent, no, think about this. It isn't dependent upon really your present day situations. Happy things can, going, can be going on all the way around you and your mind will regulate the amount of it you can experience. And I even, I even developed a, a slight a teaching aid here, which I, I, I hope you'll enjoy. I'll walk out so you can, you can kind of see how it works here. But, but it's as though, at times, it's as though we can have blinders on. So let's say that maybe as a child, uh, we weren't held as much as other children. Let's say as a child, no one came up and said, Oh, look at you, boot to go, boot. <laughs> I know, I'm making you ill. But, but let's say that our childhood wasn't quite as happy. What will happen is these blinders come into place. And you know what's sort of freaky about it is literally love could be all around me, right? Joy could be all around me. But because I'm wearing these set point blinders, I literally won't see it. And in fact, it even goes a little deeper than that. If I experience a little too much joy my mind will do something to kind of put a throttle on that. Just like the, when the furnace gets too hot, when the room gets too hot, the thermostat will say, all right, well, I'm not going to put any more heat on. Likewise, our own minds will make it so that it's difficult for us to see the love, to see the joy, to see the peace, to see those things that more traditionally would make us happy. Now, the thing I both like and hate about, I know, it is cute, isn't it? The thing I both love and hate about my hat is, you know, you don't have to wear this for very long, and it totally drives you crazy. And so, you know, after about two minutes, it's like the hat comes off. That's the good news. The bad news is 
our set point theory, you can't see it. It isn't something that you can just take on and off like a hat because it's virtually invisible. You simply experience as much happiness and as much joy as you're set to based on your genetics, 15%, and based on early childhood experiences, 85%. All right. Now, who here in the audience would be fine with experiencing more joy and more happiness in their lives? All right, all right. We're in total agreement on that then. So how do we go about this? You know, how can we reset this thermostat? What can we do? Or is there anything we can do to say, no, I want to make a change. I can't go back to early childhood again and have people do the goo-goo-ga-ga thing at me. Or, well, or at least it would seem kind of inappropriate maybe <laughs> as adults. Actually, maybe I should try I don't know that in these studies they tried that one. But, uh, but what it is that they have discovered that will work is gratitude. So let me read to you kind of the promise of this book because it was really astounding to me. Here's what uh, Robert Emmons said. We discovered a scientific proof that when people regularly engage in the systematic cultivation of gratitude, they experience a variety of measurable benefits, psychological, physical, and interpersonal. The evidence on gratitude contradicts the widely held view that all people have a set point of happiness that cannot be reset by any known means. Why, in some place, in some cases, people have reported that gratitude led to a transformative life change. And even more important, the family, friends, partners, and others that surround them consistently report that people who practice gratitude seem measurably happier and are more pleasant to be around. So it's gratitude. Now let me tell you a little bit about how these studies went. Um, they took um, three groups of people, and he did this with thousands of people, so scientifically the studies were actually very good from a psychological perspective. Thousands of people, and in all the studies he would take them in three groups. One group of people, uh, he would say, I'd like you to write down five hassles that you experience today. Just take a piece of paper every day, um, choose the same time during the day. You know, usually he had them do it uh, kind of as they would retire before bed at night. Write down five hassles, five things that hassled you la uh, during the day. Just write them down and go to sleep. The second group, he would say, just write down five things. Like no, no plus or minus, no uh, value judgment. Just write down five things that happened to you today. And then the third group, he said, write down five things for which you were grateful today. Very simple study. Now let me tell you about the two, uh, the two groups that didn't do gratitude. Now you might think, well, if this is going to change the set point on my happiness, what about the poor group that he made them write down their hassles, right? Now the good news is, is thinking about hassling type activities or negative things didn't reduce the set point on, on happiness. So he did a battery of tests before the examination and after the, the whole um, you know, series of weeks were over, and the people who, who did the hassle weren't any less happy than they were at the beginning, right? And the people who were neutral, who just wrote down five things, they likewise were still within their, their set point positive and negative on the happiness scale. But oh my gosh, for the people who wrote down the things for which they are grateful for on a daily basis, 
even if they only did it for two weeks, they were 25% happier at the end of those two weeks when they took the follow-up exam. And the, the little before and after exams rated you on how happy you were with your jobs, how happy you were with your home life, how happy you were with your house, how settled you felt and supported you felt. So it was really a fairly comprehensive exam of all the kinds of things you might think would describe you when you're happy. And what he found, this very simple procedure of simply, and this isn't a big journaling project or anything, literally, just on a scrap of paper, he had people write down the five things for which they were grateful on that day. 25% happier. And to the people who kept this up for a much longer period of time, the longest of his studies went on for six months, he arguably proved that their actual set points had changed. That then, even when they stopped doing the gratitude journaling or the making the list of gratitude items, their set points themselves had been changed in a permanent way. They were simply happier people. This is phenomenal. This is outstanding. He also talked about how we decide what gratitude is. And I thought this was very interesting as well. He said that uh, gratitude itself, you can define it as having two facets or two ways of looking at it. First, it's an acknowledgement of the goodness in our lives. Now, this one's really simple, I think. It's an acknowledgement of the goodness in our lives. And this, this fits in, I think, rather easily into one of our spiritual principles, right? Because what do we teach? We teach that what we focus on will tend to increase, right? So this one, I think, absolutely explains one of the reasons we have the power of changing this set point. Because if we're going to, out of our busy day, really sit down and think about five things or 20 things or whatever, things that went right, that we're successful, that we're grateful for, that we enjoyed, that we're positive, what are we doing? We're shifting our attention onto the positive side of life. We're switching our thoughts maybe of lack or despair into something that we're actually grateful for. And what do we say in science of mind? That for which we are grateful for increases. That which we put our intention on increases. So it's a virtual recipe for aha. Well, no wonder this thing works. We're invoking one of our most fundamental spiritual principles. The second part in the actual definition of gratitude is that you recognize that at least part of this good comes from outside of yourself. Now, surely we do tend to be grateful now and then for literally ourself, you know, grateful for, you know, maybe um, how smart we are or how well we can sing or things like that. But even then, often when I hear people say it, I get this sense that really who they're thanking is God. You know what I mean? It's like, th you know, th I'm thankful for this body, not thanking me personally, but, but sort of thanking the universe, right, for supplying me what I need, thanking God for my singing voice or, or how smart I am. So, so even, I would suggest, even when we're thankful for things that are directly attributable to us, we still have this idea of something greater than ourselves providing us with this blessing.
And then very often, of course, we're absolutely grateful to the infinite, right? You know, I'm grateful for a sunny day. I'm grateful for finding someone to love in my life. I'm grateful for the, you know, the people I interact with in my family, in my home, and, and all of those things. Gratitude really is asking you to expand yourself out into the universe and you find it good. And I would suggest here's another spiritual principle at work. When we recognize that God is good, when we recognize that the universe is a friendly place, when we recognize that the universe out there really wants to support us, it makes all the difference. When we know that everything outside of ourselves, for the most part, is there for our own benefit, when we know that God is a co-creator with us to bring about good in our lives, then that entire sort of toper, that, that entire tendency of the universe and our thoughts is for the good instead of the lack, instead of the pain, instead of some of the things that we encounter on a day-to-day -day basis that seem less like good. So we're really, when we're grateful, we're kind of using a one-two punch, if you will, in terms of really anchoring in spiritual principles. The first part is we're simply focusing on the good in our life, thus inviting more of it to appear. And two, we're recognizing that the universe is here for us good, that the universe was here to support us, that God is gracious that all that we need and desire can be supplied to us through the grace of God. <coughs> Wonderful one-two punch. So another reading from this book. Here's what he said about adults who do practice this idea of gratitude. He says, adults who keep gratitude journals on a regular basis, exercise more regularly, report fewer illness symptoms, feel better about their lives as a whole, and are more optimistic about the future. These benefits were observed in experimental studies time and again when comparisons were made to those who were asked to chronicle their daily hassles or to reflect on ways in which they were better off than others. So categorically, the idea of being grateful, the idea of sharing and enumerating that for which you are grateful will change this idea of a, of a set amount of, uh, of uh, happiness you can have in your life. It's as though your, your blinders literally just get to come off, or at least, at a very minimum, are shortened. <laughs> and even that would be wonderful, right? Wouldn't it be wonderful? All right. Before we pray, there's even a side benefit to this, because he did some more research on trying to figure out literally how this worked in the brain. And one of the side effects of this, which I think is just wonderful, he said is when our short-term memory goes into our long-term memory, the brain has to figure out what things are going to be needed to be recalled a little more quickly than other times. And the way it does this, believe it or not, fits right back into this. Things that are reviewed in our own mind more than once and with a positive thought with it, like something you're grateful for, will be stored in your brain in a way that's actually easier to retrieve it than things that just 
you know, kind of zip through and you don't pay much attention to it. And so when we do keep a gratitude journal or when we do pay attention to those things that we are grateful for, we are actually causing our brain to make those thoughts, those ideas, those feelings more easily accessible. And over time, what it means is when you have random thoughts, they are more likely to be positive ones. They are more likely to be about your loved ones. They're more likely to be about the things for which you would be grateful. So that no more in the middle of the night when weird thoughts come up, they're not going to be weird thoughts of lack or dismay or trouble. Instead, they're going to be so pleasantly weird thoughts of the people you love and the experience. <laughs> no, really. You'll want, you might still wonder, well, where did that come from? But the good news is... There are thoughts well worth drifting off to sleep about, right? Because it'll be thoughts about the friends that you have, the people you love, the ways that the universe supports you, the good things that happened, the sweet side of life. All right, let us pray. There is one power and one presence in this universe, and it is this thing that I call life. And what I know about life is it is irrepressibly good. There is good, and there is good, and there is more good. This is the nature of God, to be good in all ways and all the time. And I know this is true in general, and I know it's true in my own life. I know there is a good for me, and I know there's a willingness on my own part to do whatever is necessary to rip aside the blinders that keep me from experiencing this joy, this good, and this happiness. And as it is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room. Even if it is as simple as writing five things down every day for which I am grateful for, I know that each person in this room is a little more willing, a little more able to experience gratitude on a regular and consistent basis in their lives. I know that each person in this room can and has a willingness to reset their happiness zone so that each person here can live the happy, joyous, peaceful God gracious life that they were meant to have. And I am simply grateful for this, simply grateful in knowing that life shows up as good, simply grateful in knowing that the people in this very room are God in form. And so with a lot of love, with a recognition of peace, I just let it be, and so it is. So thank you very much. Thank you.